Chapter 2, Part 5 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles McKay. Volume 2. Chapter 2 the witch mania part five dr fian or rather cunningham a petty schoolmaster of tranent was put to the torture among the rest he was a man who had led an infamous life was a compounder of and dealer in poisons and a pretender to magic though not guilty of the preposterous crimes laid to his charge there is no doubt that he was a sorcerer in will though not in deed and that he deserved all the misery he endured when put on the rack he would confess nothing and held out so long unmoved that the severe torture of the boots was resolved upon he endured this till exhausted nature could bear no longer when insensibility kindly stepped in to his aid when it was seen that he was utterly powerless and that his tongue cleaved to the roof of his mouth he was released restoratives were administered and during the first faint gleam of returning consciousness he was prevailed upon to sign ere he well knew what he was about a full confession in strict accordance with those of gelly duncan and agnes samson he was then remanded to his prison from which after two days he managed somehow or other to escape he was soon recaptured and brought before the court of justiciary james himself being present fian now denied all the circumstances of the written confession which he had signed whereupon the king enraged at his stubborn wilfulness ordered him once more to the torture his fingernails were riven out with pincers and long needles thrust up to the eye into the quick but he did not wince he was then consigned again to the boots in which to quote a pamphlet published at the time he continued quote, so long and abode so many blows in them that his legs were crushed and beaten together as small as might be and the bones and flesh so bruised that the blood and marrow spouted forth in great abundance whereby they were made unserviceable for ever the astonishing similarity of the confessions of all the persons implicated in these proceedings has often been remarked it would appear that they actually endeavoured to cause the king's death by their spells and sorceries fian who was acquainted with all the usual tricks of his profession deceived them with pretended apparitions so that many of them were really convinced that they had seen the devil the sum of their confessions was to the following effect satan who was of course a great foe of the reformed religion was alarmed that king james should marry a protestant princess to avert the consequences to the realms of evil he had determined to put an end to the king and his bride by raising a storm on their voyage home satan first of all sent a thick mist over the waters in the hope that the king's vessel might be stranded on the coast amid the darkness this failing dr fian 
who from his superior scholarship was advanced to the dignity of the devil's secretary was commanded to summon all the witches to meet their master each one sailing on a sieve on the high seas on all hallowmas eve they assembled to the number of upwards of two hundred including gelly duncan agnes sampson euphemia mackelzine one barbara napier and several warlocks and each embarking in a riddle or sieve they sailed over the ocean very substantially after cruising about for some time they met with the fiend bearing in his claws a cat which had been previously drawn nine times through the fire this he delivered to one of the warlocks telling him to cast it into the sea and cry hola this was done with all solemnity and immediately the ocean became convulsed the waters hissed loudly and the waves rose mountains high twisting their arms to the dun-coloured heaven the witches sailed gallantly through the tempest they had raised and landing on the coast of scotland took their sieves in their hands and marched on in procession to the haunted kirk of north berwick where the devil had resolved to hold a preaching gelly duncan the musician of the party tripped on before playing on her jew's harp and singing comer go ye before comer go ye gif ye will not go before comer let me arrived at the kirk they paced around it wither shins that is in reverse of the apparent motion of the sun dr fian then blew into the keyhole of the door which opened immediately and all the witches entered as it was pitch dark fian blew with his mouth upon the candles which immediately lighted and the devil was seen occupying the pulpit he was attired in a black gown and hat and the witches saluted him by crying all hail master his body was hard like iron his face terrible his nose like the beak of an eagle he had great burning eyes his hands and legs were hairy and he had long claws upon his hands and feet and spake with an exceedingly gruff voice before commencing his sermon he called over the names of his congregation demanding whether they had been good servants and what success had attended their operations against the life of the king and his bride gray meal a crazy old warlock who acted as beadle or doorkeeper was silly enough to answer quote, that nothing ailed the king yet god be thanked end quote, upon which the devil in a rage stepped down from the pulpit and boxed his ears for him he then remounted and commenced the preaching commanding them to be dutiful servants to him and do all the evil they could euphemia mackelzine and agnes sampson bolder than the rest asked him whether he had brought the image or picture of king james that they might by pricking it cause pains and diseases to fall upon him the father of lies spoke truth for once and confessed that he had forgotten it upon which euphemia mackelzine upbraided him loudly for his carelessness the devil however took it all in good part although agnes sampson and several other women let loose their tongues at him immediately 
when they had done scolding he invited them all to a grand entertainment a newly buried corpse was dug up and divided among them which was all they had in the way of edibles he was more liberal in the matter of drink and gave them so much excellent wine that they soon became jolly gelly duncan then played the old tune upon her trump and the devil himself led off the dance with euphemia macalzine thus they kept up the sport till the cock crew agnes sampson the wise woman of keith as she was called added some other particulars in her confession she stated that on a previous occasion she had raised an awful tempest in the sea by throwing a cat into it with four joints of men tied to its feet she said also that on their grand attempt to drown king james they did not meet with the devil after cruising about but that he had accompanied them from the first and that she had seen him dimly in the distance rolling himself before them over the great waves in shape and size not unlike a huge haystack they met with a foreign ship richly laden with wines and other good things which they boarded and sunk after they had drunk all the wine and made themselves quite merry some of these disclosures were too much even for the abundant faith of king james and he more than once exclaimed that the witches were like their master extreme liars but they confessed many other things of a less preposterous nature and of which they were no doubt really guilty agnes sampson said she was to have taken the king's life by anointing his linen with a strong poison gelly duncan used to threaten her neighbors by saying she would send the devil after them and many persons of weaker minds than usual were frightened into fits by her and rendered subject to them for the remainder of their lives dr fian also made no scruple in aiding and abetting murder and would rid any person of an enemy by means of poison who could pay him his fee for it euphemia macalzine also was far from being pure there is no doubt that she meditated the king's death and used such means to compass it as the superstition of the age directed she was a devoted partisan of bothwell who was accused by many of the witches as having consulted them on the period of the king's death they were all found guilty and sentenced to be hanged and burned barbara napier though found guilty upon other counts was acquitted upon the charge of having been present at the great witch meeting in berwick kirk the king was highly displeased and threatened to have the jury indicted for a wilful error upon an assize they accordingly reconsidered their verdict and threw themselves upon the king's mercy for the fault they had committed james was satisfied and barbara napier was hanged along with gelly duncan agnes sampson dr fian and five-and-twenty others euphemia macalzine met a harder fate her connection with the bold and obnoxious bothwell and her share in poisoning one or two individuals who had stood in her way were thought deserving of the severest punishment the law could inflict instead of the ordinary sentence directing the criminal to be first strangled and then burned the wretched woman was doomed quote, to be bound to a stake and burned in ashes quick to the death 
End quote. This cruel sentence was executed on the 25th of June, 1591. These trials had the most pernicious consequences all over Scotland. The lairds and ministers in their districts, armed with due power from the Privy Council, tried and condemned old women after the most summary fashion. Those who still clung to the ancient faith of Rome were the severest sufferers, as it was thought, after the disclosures of the fierce enmity borne by the devil towards a Protestant king and his Protestant wife, that all the Catholics were leagued with the powers of evil to work woe on the realm of Scotland. Upon a very moderate calculation, it is presumed that from the passing of the act of Queen Mary till the accession of James to the throne of England, a period of thirty-nine years, the average number of executions for witchcraft in Scotland was two hundred annually, or upwards of seventeen thousand altogether. For the first nine years the number was not one quarter so great, but towards the years 1590 to 1593 the number must have been more than four hundred. The case last cited was one of an extraordinary character. The general aspect of the trials will be better seen from that of Isabel Gowdy, which, as it would be both wearisome and disgusting to go through them all, is given as a fair specimen, although it took place at a date somewhat later than the reign of James. This woman, wearied of her life by the persecutions of her neighbors, voluntarily gave herself up to justice and made a confession embodying the whole witch creed of the period she was undoubtedly a monomaniac of the most extraordinary kind she said that she deserved to be stretched upon an iron rack and that her crimes could never be atoned for even if she were to be drawn asunder by wild horses she named a long list of her associates including nearly fifty women and a few warlocks they dug up the graves of unchristened infants whose limbs were serviceable in their enchantments. When they wanted to destroy the crops of an enemy, they yoked toads to his plough, and on the following night Satan himself ploughed the land with his team and blasted it for the season. The witches had power to assume almost any shape, but they generally chose either that of a cat or a hare, oftenest the latter. Isabel said that on one occasion, when she was in this disguise, she was sore pressed by a pack of hounds and had a very narrow escape with her life. She reached her own door at last, feeling the hot breath of the pursuing dogs at her haunches. She managed, however, to hide herself behind a chest and got time to pronounce the magic words that could alone restore her to her proper shape they were hare hare god send thee care i am in a hare's likeness now but i shall be a woman e'en now hare hare god send thee care if witches when in this shape were bitten by the dogs they always retained the marks in their human form but she had never heard that any witch had been bitten to death when the devil appointed any general meeting of the witches, the custom was that they should proceed through the air mounted on broomsticks, 
or on corn or bean straws pronouncing as they went horse and paddock horse and go horse and pellets ho 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 they generally left behind them a broom or a three-legged stool which when placed in their beds and duly charmed assumed the human shape till their return this was done that the neighbors might not know when they were absent she added that the devil furnished his favorite witches with servant imps to attend upon them these imps were called the roaring lion thief of hell wait upon herself ranting roarer care for naught etc and were known by their liveries which were generally yellow sad dun sea-green pea-green or grass-green satan never called the witches by the names they had received at baptism neither were they allowed in his presence so to designate each other such a breach of the infernal etiquette assuredly drew down his most severe displeasure but as some designation was necessary he rebaptized them in their own blood by the names of able and stout over the dyke with it raise the wind pickle nearest the wind batter them down maggie blow kale and such like the devil himself was not very particular what name they called him so that it was not black john if any witch was unthinking enough to utter these words he would rush out upon her and beat and buffet her unmercifully or tear her flesh with a wool card other names he did not care about and once gave instructions to a noted warlock that whenever he wanted his aid he was to strike the ground three times and exclaim rise up foul thief sir g mackenzie upon this confession many persons were executed so strong was the popular feeling that no one once accused of witchcraft was acquitted at least acquittals did not average one in a hundred trials which finding or which pricking became a trade and a set of mercenary vagabonds roamed about the country provided with long pins to run into the flesh of supposed criminals it was no unusual thing then nor is it now that in aged persons there should be some spot on the body totally devoid of feeling it was the object of the witch-pricker to discover this spot and the unhappy white who did not bleed when pricked upon it was doomed to the death if not immediately cast into prison her life was rendered miserable by the persecution of her neighbors it is recorded of many poor women that the annoyances they endured in this way were so excessive that they preferred death sir george mackenzie the lord advocate at the time when witch trials were so frequent and himself a devout believer in the crime relates in his criminal law first published in sixteen seventy eight some remarkable instances of it he says quote, i went when i was a justice depute to examine some women who had confessed judicially and one of them who was a silly creature told me under secrecy that she had not confessed because she was guilty but being a poor creature who wrought for her meat and being defamed for a witch she knew she should starve for no person thereafter would either give her meat or lodging and that all men would beat her 
and set dogs at her and that therefore she desired to be out of the world whereupon she wept most bitterly and upon her knees called god to witness to what she said sir george though not wholly elevated above the prejudices of his age upon this subject was clear-sighted enough to see the danger to society of the undue encouragement given to the witch prosecutions he was convinced that three-fourths of them were unjust and unfounded he says in the work already quoted that the persons who were in general accused of this crime were poor ignorant men and women who did not understand the nature of the accusation and who mistook their own superstitious fears for witchcraft one poor wretch a weaver confessed that he was a warlock and being asked why he replied because quote, he had seen the devil dancing like a fly about the candle end quote. a simple woman who because she was called a witch believed that she was asked the judge upon the bench whether a person might be a witch and not know it sir george adds that all the supposed criminals were subjected to severe torture in prison from their jailers who thought they did god good service by vexing and tormenting them and i know says this humane and enlightened magistrate that this usage was the ground of all their confession and albeit the poor miscreants cannot prove this usage the actors in it being the only witnesses yet the judge should be jealous of it as that which did at first elicit the confession and for fear of which they dare not retract it another author also a firm believer in witchcraft gives a still more lamentable instance of a woman who preferred execution as a witch to live on under the imputation this woman who knew that three others were to be strangled and burned on an early day sent for the minister of the parish and confessed that she had sold her soul to satan Quote, whereupon being called before the judges she was condemned to die with the rest being carried forth to the place of execution she remained silent during the first second and third prayer and then perceiving that there remained no more but to rise and go to the stake she lifted up her body and with a loud voice cried out now all you that see me this day know that i am now to die as a witch by my own confession and i free all men especially the ministers and magistrates of the guilt of my blood i take it wholly upon myself my blood be upon my own head and as i must make answer to the god of heaven presently i declare i am as free of witchcraft as any child but being delated by a malicious woman and put in prison under the name of a witch disowned by my husband and friends and seeing no ground of hope of ever coming out again i made up that confession to destroy my own life being weary of it and choosing rather to die than to live as a proof of the singular obstinacy and blindness of the believers in witches it may be stated that the minister who relates this story only saw in the dying speech of the unhappy woman an additional proof that she was a witch true indeed is it that quote, none are so blind as those who will not see end quote. 
it is time however to return to james the sixth who is fairly entitled to share with pope innocent sprenger vaudinus and matthew hopkins the glory or the odium of being at the same time a chief enemy and chief encourager of witchcraft towards the close of the sixteenth century many learned men both on the continent and in the isles of britain had endeavoured to disabuse the public mind on this subject the most celebrated were wierus in germany pietro da pone in italy and reginald scott in england their works excited the attention of the zealous james who mindful of the involuntary compliment which his merits had extorted from the devil was ambitious to deserve it by still continuing quote, his greatest enemy end quote. in the year fifteen ninety seven he published in edinburgh his famous treatise on demonology its design may be gathered from the following passage in the introduction quote, the fearful abounding says the king at this time and in this country of these detestable slaves of the devil the witches or enchanters hath moved me beloved reader to dispatch in post this following treatise of mine not in any wise as i protest to serve for a show of mine own learning and ingenuity but only moved of conscience to press thereby so far as i can to resolve the doubting hearts of many both that such assaults of satan are most certainly practised and that the instrument thereof merits most severely to be punished against the damnable opinions of two principally in our age whereof the one called scott an englishman is not ashamed in public print to deny that there can be such thing as witchcraft and so maintains the old error of the sadducees in denying of spirits the other called wierus a german physician sets out a public apology for all these crafts folks whereby procuring for them impunity he plainly betrays himself to have been one of that profession in other parts of this treatise which the author had put into the form of a dialogue to quote, make it more pleasant and facile end quote, he says quote, witches ought to be put to death according to the law of god the civil and imperial law and the municipal law of all christian nations yea to spare the life and not strike whom god bids strike and so severely punish in so odious a treason against god is not only unlawful but doubtless as great a sin in the magistrate as was saul's sparing agag he says also that the crime is so abominable that it may be proved by evidence which would not be received against any other offenders young children who knew not the nature of an oath and persons of an infamous character being sufficient witnesses against them but lest the innocent should be accused of a crime so difficult to be acquitted of he recommends that in all cases the ordeal should be resorted to he says quote, two good helps may be used the one is the finding of their mark and the trying the insensibleness thereof the other is their floating on the water for as in a secret murder if the dead carcass be at any time thereafter handled by the murderer 
it will gush out of blood as if the blood were crying to heaven for revenge of the murderer god having appointed that secret supernatural sign for trial of that secret unnatural crime so that it appears that god hath appointed for a supernatural sign of the monstrous impiety of witches that the water shall refuse to receive them in her bosom that have shaken off them the sacred water of baptism and wilfully refused the benefit thereof no not so much as their eyes are able to shed tears threaten and torture them as you please while first they repent god not permitting them to dissemble their obstinacy in so horrible a crime albeit the womenkind especially be able otherwise to shed tears at every light occasion when they will yea although it were dissembling like the crocodiles End quote. End of chapter two part five recording by linda johnson